I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. I trust that you have been uh, encouraged, edified over the last few weeks as Rod and Floyd and Harley have preached through much of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, thank you men for serving us in this way. And uh, as we return now, we are returning to Ecclesiastes. And uh, we're sort of, I guess you could say, in the home stretch uh, of the book as we enter into chapter 8 and probably uh, six or so sermons left uh, in Ecclesiastes. And so today we are in chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 9. So we will begin by uh, reading this together. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the, Lord, of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Over the last 18 months or so, uh, as Christians, we've had to think um, more carefully, more closely about our relationship to those in authority over us. I think more so than ever, it's become very real. And even as we've seen governments across Canada um, really exercising authority that uh, in a way that has not really been known in the history of our country, uh, we're also aware that many others have and still do live in times and places where there was or presently there is uh, no rule of law whatsoever, where it is simply the word of the king or the dictator, the one or the people who are in power. That is law. And this presents, even here, regardless of where you live, presents often some difficult um, situations when we think about our relationship to those in authority over us. And Solomon makes some statements here in chapter 8 about dealing with a king. And I think a key to understanding these verses is found in verse 9 at the end of the passage, where we see what's really driving his talk about the king and about king's authority and so on. In verse 9, he says, all this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. So he's thinking about, as he's considering, as he has been doing throughout this book, all that goes on under the sun, life on earth as we know it. He is particularly thinking now about this reality that of man having power over fellow man to hurt him 
And this is what is going on. This is what he's thinking about as he's making these statements about kings. And next week, as he, he'll continue on in verse 10 and following, he's, he's considering men having authority and power over others and, and using it to hurt them. And so he's talking here about wisely navigating life under authority. Specifically, he's talking about the authority of a king. Now, we are not under the authority of a king, um, but we are nevertheless under authority. And our verses this morning provide us with some wisdom for navigating life under authority. And so the first thing to realize from this text is that there is wisdom to navigate life under authority. There is wisdom to be had to help us as we live our lives under the authority of others. I think it's maybe easy to throw our hands up, to be pessimistic and give up on the pursuit of wisdom. Uh, Sometimes we face difficult circumstances. We're not entirely sure what to do and we kind of just toss our hands up and we just aren't going to really know. We can give ourselves over to discouragement, to defeat, to just pure pessimism. But I think that Solomon is pointing us down another road here. So he begins in verse 1 with extolling wisdom. He says, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. So those two questions that form the first two lines of of, of verse 1, Uh, They're not to be taken as questions that are being asked out of despair as if there is no one wise at all. Uh, Wisdom is certainly elusive, can be difficult to grasp. There is much that will still elude the wise. Wisdom might even, uh, the wise might even be a rare breed. I think Solomon has suggested as much even back in chapter 7. But he is here speaking positively about wisdom and about its usefulness. In the second half of verse 1, it could be that he is saying that the wise person's demeanor, physical demeanor, is changed because of his wisdom. That is, a man's wisdom brings such joy and aid and help that he appears physically to be joyful and to be relaxed. That is, his face shines. And the sternness and harshness of his face is gone as well, the hardness of his face being changed. That's entirely possible. I think that happens. The person who understands what's going on and understands what to do, there is a certain calm and joy that can come from that, even in difficulty. But this is perhaps better understood metaphorically, that the shining face in verse 1 means wisdom brings illumination and comprehension. Light often refers to this in Scripture Moreover, in the last line there, verse 1, the word hardness is the word for strength. And so this could be translated, the strength of his face is changed, meaning that wisdom brings confidence as strength is increased. Regardless, wisdom is put forth here by Solomon as a great good. Even if it's limited, even if it is at times elusive, He's saying it is a good thing. And this forms a transition out of chapter 7 and into chapter 8 as he's going to deal with authority. And so again, while 
over recent days, over the last year and a half or whatever, you've perhaps had moments where you have felt tremendously unwise at times, figuring out how to navigate the the world in which we find ourselves. I trust I'm not the only one to have that experience and that sense at times. And while wisdom perhaps is difficult to come by, let us not give up on searching for it or throw our arms up simply in defeat. And this, of course, is true for whatever situation you might find. But again, the context he's going to move into is dealing with authority. There is wisdom to be had for our present moment and for whatever is yet to come. So there is wisdom to navigate life under authority. Secondly, the wise remember their responsibility before God. The wise remember their responsibility before God, namely their responsibility to authorities. So verse two says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. The first part of that verse is relatively straightforward. It literally says to keep the king's mouth meaning his commands, observe his commands. Um, The second half of that verse is a little bit harder. Uh, The ESV uh, indicates this by giving you a a trust in in your Bible, if you have an ESV, uh, a footnote there telling you of another possible translation. The ESV translates it as God's oath to him. We're to keep the king's command because of God's oath to the king. And so in that case, he's saying obey the king because God has made an oath to him. In which case, this is reminding you that the king has a delegated authority from God, and this is why you ought to render submission. And this is, in fact, what we find in other places in Scripture. Romans 13 speaks of this uh, authority given to uh, governing magistrates, and that this ultimately comes from God. And so there's an appropriate submission we render to them. But here, most English translations don't word it as the ESV does. More literally, this verse gives the reason for obeying the king's command as because of the matter of the oath of God. And so it's in that rendering, it's not immediately obvious uh, who's making the oath. What oath is this referring to? And so a number of translations interpret this as being a reference to your oath to the king. Obey his commands, as the uh, Christian Standard Bible puts it, because of your oath made before God. Now, if this is the best rendering, then Solomon seems to have in mind here, he seems to picture an advisor to the king, one who has sworn loyalty and service to the king in service to him. And so this would be then a call to fulfill that vow, that oath, that obligation you've made to the king before God. I lean towards uh, this latter interpretation as being and translation as being the best because of what verse 3 says. And we'll get into verse 3 in a moment, but it, he's talking about someone who enters in and out of the king's presence. Now, that's not just for anybody, uh, but it does fit the case of one who would be called to be the king's advisor. So we'll come back to verse 3 in just a moment. But with regard to you and I, we're clearly not kingly advisors nor are most people who live. But this is a reminder of a king and his subjects. 
And though we have not sworn loyalty by oath, uh, we do have responsibilities before God to our governing authorities. Jesus said to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And he said that, of course, in the context of taxes. Uh, Peter and Paul also wrote clearly about owing submission and honor to authorities on account of them being put in place by God. Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, discuss that. And so obeying commands is ordinarily the proper response of those under authority, of those in submission. And I think the wise understands this. The wise man remembers his responsibility before God when it comes to dealing with authority. I think with many biblical commands, often, often there's a tendency to want to jump immediately to the exceptions. We want to jump to where it's maybe not the case, where we don't have to do that thing. We say, yes, but, and of course there's a place for that. Uh, Solomon's going to acknowledge, I think, uh, exceptions here in just a moment. But I think it's important we remember there are exceptions. There are exceptions, not the rule. It is not fundamentally weakness or cowardice to submit to an authority that is ordained by God. And the wise remember this and remember this responsibility that God has given. This leads then to the third point here. Wisdom in navigating life under authority. The wise are slow to rebel, but will also not go along with an authority's evil plan. The wise are slow to rebel, but will also not go along with an authority's evil plan. This is what I understand verses 3 to 4 as teaching us. In verse 3, he says, Be not hasty to go from his presence. Talking about the king's presence. Now, to go in and out of the presence of a king is no small matter. If you recall the book of Esther and her gamble that she was taking by approaching, even as the queen, in approaching the king, her husband. She's taking her life in her own hands. You are not to just approach him without being asked to come. And so again, this is why I think Solomon is perhaps, perhaps has in mind here Um, a a, a counselor to the king. It is one who is in and out of the king's presence, an advisor. And so this instruction to not leave the king's presence hastily would suggest not leaving too quickly, presumably out of disagreement or disgust and out of anger, perhaps. If the king is not receptive to your words or is being foolish or something like that, don't be too quick to abandon your post and rebel against him. It is a call for patience and for perseverance with a king who won't always do what's best. Don't just turn your back on him and walk out at the first sign of a problem. Don't turn on him too quickly. Do not be too hasty, he's saying. I think this is, again, though, again, we are not advisors to kings or to our authorities, this is still a good place for us to be honest with ourselves 
and consider our own tendency toward rebellion. Uh, we don't, you, you know this, I trust, we don't naturally like being under anyone's authority. We don't like to be told what to do from a very, very, very young age. We do not like this. This is not natural for us, according to our sinful natures. We are actually quite happy often to rebel at the first chance we have. With any justification we might find. Rebellion is in our fallen nature and can come very easily for us. And so I think this is good for us to just be careful and to not be too quick to assume that your rebellion, wherever it might be against authority, is justified. To not be too quick to just assume that it's sanctified. At the very least, we should be wary of our hearts in this matter. So the next part of verse 3 is a little bit tricky, but seems to caution against the other ditch here. He says, Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he, the king, does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Solomon seems to be saying, On the one hand, do not be too hasty in walking out and turning your back and rebelling against the king. That's the first part of verse 3. But also, don't stick around too long and participate in evil that the king might be planning and participating in. In much of the ancient world, again, and the, the word of the king was law. This wasn't meant to be the case in Israel. Israel did have God's law given to them. But it was still true that the king was the most powerful of men in the nation, typically. And he did as he pleased. This is what Solomon is saying. The king does whatever he pleases. And they're able to do what they please often without really being questioned by anybody. And this means that such a person has the ability to do great evil with seeming impunity. I think this is something he's going to continue to consider and think about and we'll look at next week uh, in verse 10 and, and following. And so it could, it, it could be very tempting and even enticing to one who is close to the king, to an advisor, to the king, to go along with whatever the king has said. Ultimately, no one can really stop him. And so perhaps you just go along. You stick around. And take your stand with the king, even though he might be doing evil. And yet Solomon is indicating that the wise person is aware that there is yet a higher authority to whom everyone ultimately will answer. And so therefore it is not wise, it is not right, it is not righteous to stand with a king in an evil cause. And so there is indeed a limit to the fidelity that we owe our earthly authorities. It is not absolute in everything. Caesar has that which we are called to render to him, but we also have that which we are to render to God and not to Caesar. There are times when with Peter and the apostles, it is appropriate to say we must obey God rather than man. The, the first half of the book of Daniel 
I think it's filled with a number of good examples of respectful submission to authority that involves also a refusal to go along with evil. There is a time when a person understands they cannot go along with the king, with the authorities, with those in power, because to do so would be evil, or to do so would be to violate God's law, to disobey the Lord. And so there's a time when they must speak out or step aside, and in so doing risk the wrath of that authority, the condemnation of others. Christians have known this throughout the ages. We see it in the book of Acts. Those who follow the Lord in the Old Testament as well understood this. Again, I, I submit Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to you, others as well, that there were times they just could not submit to the authorities. And this is often why persecution exists. We say no to those with power and authority because there is a higher authority to which we answer. What you are uh, suggesting or demanding is evil. I cannot do it. So we are not to be hasty in rebellion, in saying no, but we are also not to stick around and participate in evil with authorities. This isn't always easy to know when exactly that line is crossed and Solomon doesn't resolve every tension for us. Give us a nice clear answer every time. Some things obviously are quite clear, but other times it's not maybe quite as evident. To know exactly when do we leave the king's presence, so to speak. But Solomon continues here by reminding us, this is the fourth point, that wisdom will help you know the right course. Again, this is related to the first point. Uh, wisdom will help you to know the right course. There is wisdom for this. Verse 5, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. So verse 5 begins with the statement that if you keep a command, you're not going to know any evil thing. This is not a promise that you'll never experience trial or difficulty or be wrong or anything like that. In context, he's talking about the fact that if you obey what the king says, you keep his command, he's not going to come after you. Right? Generally speaking, that's how it works. If you do what the authority says, then you're good to go. We understand this. We know this. Ordinarily, if the king is doing what is good, if the authority is commanding what is just, then this is a perfectly good reality, a good principle. You do it, you're not going to be convicted. You're not going to be harassed. This is incentive to obey the king. This is how law works. Even when someone wants to rebel, they're restrained because they know there's going to be consequences. So ordinarily, often, this is good. But Solomon adds more. He says, The wise heart will know the proper time and the just way, for there is a time and a way for everything. So I think what Solomon is getting at here is that while it is good, to submit and obey the king, to keep his command. And there's much practical incentive to do so. You're not going to face his wrath. There is nevertheless a time and a way for everything, including the decision to disobey that authority. There will be a time to walk out from his presence, to not take a stand with him. 
Indeed, he says, the wise heart will know the proper way, or sorry, the proper time and just way, or the judgment. He's saying that wisdom will guide a person into understanding, will we'll give discernment and knowledge to know when it's time to resist the king. And Solomon adds, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. Now, that word although could just as well be translated as for or because. And many see that as being really the proper way to read this. In which case, he's saying there's a time for everything, including obedience and keeping the king's command, but also a time to not keep the king's command and not stand with him because man's trouble, evil, distress, lies heavy on him. Like he's giving the reason for it. It's because we are living in a fallen world. And for that reason, there is a time for everything. We ordinarily would submit to our authorities, but indeed there is a time for disobeying. And so if it is the wise heart that will discern the proper time and the just way, then I think a clear implication from this is that we need to be people of wisdom. We need to gain a heart of wisdom. Now in these verses, Solomon doesn't tell us precisely how we are to go about this, precisely how we are to gain wisdom. He's speaking here of its effects. The effect of possessing wisdom is it will give you discernment for navigating life under authority. But he doesn't explicitly say how. So I want to just take a couple minutes here and consider a couple of truths about how wisdom is attained. So it's kind of a bracket here on, on going through Ecclesiastes to consider how does one then become wise? Well, to start with, true wisdom, if you were to have true wisdom, one must be found in Christ because it is in him that true wisdom is found. If you remember from our time in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul says there of Christ, he says in him or he says in whom, but he's talking about Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom found in Christ. There are obviously many true and helpful things that any person can know and understand that will help them live out their earthly days. Any unbeliever can know some true and good and helpful things. But to be truly wise, biblically speaking, you must belong to Christ. If you recall 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it is the gospel itself that is said to be of the wisdom of God that shames the so-called wisdom of man. Man calls it folly. Paul says that so-called folly of God is much greater and wiser than the wisest wisdom man can give you. The fear of the Lord is said to be the beginning of wisdom in Proverbs. To fear the Lord, then, you must have some comprehension, understand something of God's majesty, of his holiness, of his greatness, of his otherness. He is the creator, and we are created beings. We live and exist in a, as finite people in a finite world, all that we know experiences and uh, time and 
wears out, and so on. God is not like any of this. It's a God that ultimately is beyond our full comprehension. He is holy and he is perfect. So the one who fears the Lord has some grasp of this. And likewise, in contrast to the God who is perfect and who knows all, the one who fears the Lord also has a sense of how deeply fallen and sinful they are. If you would fear the Lord, you must understand then that before God's majesty, you stand condemned. That the Holy One knows your every deed, but also your every thought, the inclination of your heart. He knows the unholiness of your condition. And that one day you will stand before him and answer. And God will indeed judge the world. And so fearing the Lord then means trembling at this, having a grasp of the seriousness of your plight in your sinful condition. Agreeing with God and his word that his judgment about you and about your soul is correct. That it's not just some mistakes that you make that are really understandable, but that this is sin before God, that you violated his commands. And that he is not a God who can be bribed by doing a few good deeds in hopes that they'll just make up for your sin. And yet, of course, the Bible teaches that God in his loving kindness has sent his son, the eternal son, to become man, the person of Jesus, took on flesh. He came and he died in the place of sinners, in the place of ruined, pitiful sinners, like you, like me. And he did this that all who trust in him, all who believe in him might be forgiven their sin, might be justified, might be declared righteous before God, not because of anything you do or anything good in you, but because of what Christ has accomplished and because of who he is as a gift of God's grace. So the one who truly fears the Lord lays hold of God's salvation, the covering that he has provided for your sin. And we do this by faith, by confessing your sin, receiving, resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of the cross is folly to the world. Uh, We don't typically look up to those who appear weak. And Jesus went to the cross in the appearance of weakness and was crucified, submitted to the penalty that Pilate and others subjected him to. This is folly to the world, but it's the very wisdom of God on display, enabling God to maintain his holiness and yet justify unholy people. He does not simply sweep those sins under the rug or pretend they don't exist or just say it's no big deal because it is. Instead, Jesus steps in and takes the penalty that sinners deserve 
that sinners might go free. God's justice is satisfied and man can be forgiven. He is both just and the justifier of ungodly men and women. And this is the wisdom of God. According to 1 Corinthians 1, that the one crucified in weakness is nevertheless the only savior. The one who is like a lamb to the slaughter is also raised victorious from the dead. The lamb is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is also the one who will return in his glory and he will execute the judgment of God upon the ungodly. He will judge the world in righteousness. He is the eternal king and he is the only savior. His kingdom will not be rolled up and will not be done away with. It is the one that will end all of man's kingdoms and put an end to all unjust authority. It is in Christ where wisdom is found. So consider just for a moment now how this helps us as we think about dealing with authorities, with earthly authorities, be they kings or premiers or prime ministers or whoever they might be. This reminds us, the gospel does, thinking of Christ, reminds us of the ultimate authority. There is a higher authority than the king, than the government. It is Jesus who is the king of kings. It is he who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. That's what he told his disciples before he ascended in Matthew 28. This authority takes priority over all else in this life. And where there's conflict, being in Christ reminds us of where our ultimate duty lies. It is his word that trumps all others and extends to all areas of life. So this helps us as we consider what is wise in navigating life under authority. The gospel further reminds us of eternal realities and where our ultimate hope lies. This earthly life is not all there is. If the time comes where we must choose to disobey and face evil consequences, if it means living out our earthly days becomes much harder, very difficult, very painful, or if it even meant that our earthly days were cut short, then we can do it with the knowledge that this is not our ultimate home. To live is Christ. But for the Christian to die is gain, truly. So again, as Solomon is pointing us to wisdom here and its helpfulness in navigating life under authority, if we would be wise, then we must be in Christ. For this is where true wisdom is found. If we would be wise, we must also Seek wisdom in the scriptures. All Christians have a measure of wisdom, but we can also grow in wisdom. This much is clear in the scriptures. Not everyone has the same amount of wisdom, but there is wisdom to be found. It is to be found, namely, in the word of Christ, the scriptures. In Proverbs 2, we read earlier, Proverbs 4, Talk about seeking wisdom and finding wisdom. Uh, wisdom is not just an automatic download that we get when we ask for it. We seek it in Scripture. 
But of course, if we would be wise, we are to pray for wisdom as well. James tells us as much in James 1.5. If you lack it, ask God who gives wisdom. Proverbs 2 says, the Lord gives wisdom. Ephesians 1.17, similar. God gives wisdom and we seek it in his word. And so wisdom will help you to know the right course of action when dealing with authorities. And wisdom is found in Christ. It is found in his word and it is given by God. And finally here, just returning to our text, as we consider wisdom in navigating life under authority, Solomon shows us that the wise will entrust the outcome of their actions to the Lord, knowing their limitations and refusing to engage in wickedness. It's kind of a mouthful, but the wise will entrust the outcome of their actions to the Lord, knowing their limitations and refusing to engage in wickedness. Solomon returns to limitations of wisdom in verse 7. He says, For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? There is no perfect knowledge, absolute knowledge of precisely what is going to happen, how everything is going to turn out. The wise person will understand this and must therefore trust the consequences of their actions to the Lord. We, we can't lay out exactly. If, if, if the day comes and it's time to leave the presence of the king and not take a stand with him, in fact, stand against it, we can't know exactly how this is all going to play out. Will it go well for us? Will it not? We don't know what is to be. No one can tell you precisely how it's all going to work out. Verse 8 continues, no man has power to retain the spirit. Just like with Greek in Hebrew, the word for spirit can also be translated wind. I think that's probably the better way to translate it here. Uh, Many English Bibles do this, the New American Standard being one. So no man has power to retain the wind. We can't control it. No man has power to retain the wind or power over the day of death. So again, he's, he's referring to these things that have, we, we can't control these things. But generally speaking, you don't control the day of your death. We don't have power over that. It comes often very suddenly. Or we simply can't stop it as we wear out and get, as we get old. He continues, there is no discharge from war. So if you think about a a battle, this could be a particular battle he's talking about too. When the war is raging, uh, you don't get to just get discharged and go home. That's not when they discharge uh, soldiers from war, when the battle is presently raging. You're needed, you're on the front line, you're forced to engage. You have no other option. Nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. So I think the comment about this discharge from, from battle, from war, there is no discharge from it. It's probably there to remind us that there are certain battles we face that we simply can't avoid. We simply cannot get out of. There's no just, nah, I'm not going to get involved in this. Sometimes we, that's just not an option. That's not a godly option. That's not an option for the wise. And dealing with our authorities is one such thing. 
And he goes on to say that wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. In his commentary, Benjamin Shaw notes that people will take an evil course of action because they are under the impression that it will benefit them. This is a reminder that no matter what, an evil course of action is not the correct course. It will not deliver you. It can be tempting to resort even to evil in order to combat evil. I think this is saying no to that. That wickedness is not the way out. And so we have in the end here another reminder of our limitations and of the folly of wickedness. Meaning that we must trust the outcome of the right course of action fully into the hands of the Lord. This is again what we see in the scriptures. The apostles. Again, in the book of Daniel. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They took their stand. And they received the consequences. And remember the, th- the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even if our God doesn't deliver us, we will burn. You're going to throw us in that flame. We're not going to listen to you. We're not going to violate God's commands. We're taking our stand here. And he's more than capable of delivering. Even if he doesn't, then we'll burn. We'll, we'll receive whatever you're going to bring us. And of course, we know the Lord did deliver them. But they didn't know for sure. That seems to be what Solomon's getting at here. We cannot manipulate and control everything by any and every means possible to guarantee a particular outcome. And the truly wise will not engage in evil to hopefully gain a good end. We are not called to be pragmatists. And so... Solomon is considering man having power over man to his hurt. This is a a troubling reality of life under the sun that this exists. Many great evils occur because of this. And whether one is a high-ranking advisor to a king or merely lowly citizens, we all must navigate life under authority. And often we are faced with difficulty and difficult decisions. And as you face uncertainties, difficulty, and perhaps temptation to worry, to panic about our days that we're living in, this text reminds you that there is wisdom to help you navigate the times. So we are to seek the Lord for this wisdom, to ask him for it, to be much in his word, to try to therefore think as as faithfully as we can to what is true, as biblically as we can with whatever comes. And so search his word. Be much in prayer for yourself, for one another, and for those presently in authority. This is Christian duty, and it is also our privilege. So let us trust our God to make us wise now and on into the future whatever may come. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, all of us, if we are honest with you and with ourselves, we know that so often we, we, we are unwise. We feel unwise. We don't know the right course. Sometimes when we do know the right course, we still don't walk in it. 
Father, we do come to you and ask you for wisdom. We pray for help. We pray for strength and for courage as needed to take our stand. I pray that you'd keep us from giving ourselves over to rebellious spirits, but that we would also not stick around too long and end up standing with evil authorities doing evil and encouraging evil. Father, we pray for for help. We pray that as we read your word, as we hear it preached, that you would increase our understanding and our wisdom. Father, I pray that we would long for knowing your word, for being in your word. Father, for everyone whose love of your word has perhaps grown cold, I pray that you'd revive it, that you'd give us great anticipation of of reading at whatever opportunities we have or listening to your word. Father, make us eager to press through difficulties that we might understand. Lord, keep us from being completely discouraged and downcast, even as there's maybe many things we don't like about what we're seeing in the world around us. Keep us from despair. Father, I pray that you would remind us of of Christ and remind us of eternity. Father, that we would truly have it stamped on our eyes, that we would be okay if living wisely before you means suffering loss. Again, give us the, the mind of Christ in these things that we see displayed in a number of your people that you graciously worked in in the scriptures, including the Apostle Paul, as we read earlier, who counted his life of little value compared to, to, to not just knowing you, but proclaiming your gospel, and serving you in his station. Father, give us that kind of mindset that we would serve you come what may and do it joyfully. And when it's our time to go home, that we would be willing to suffer loss, that we'd be willing to walk through whatever you might bring. Father, we do pray for mercy as we have already and continue to on our nation. For those in authority, that you would give them wisdom, that you would silence the talk of fools and ignorant and evil men and women and raise up those who understand your word, who, who would rule well and with justice. Father, Be merciful to us and help us in every way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.